Hello and welcome back. Friends, chimney sweeps, business owners, thank you for lending me your ears. Well, we're about two weeks away from Labor Day, which for us usually signifies absolute insanity. (laughs) Uh, We always talk about the fall and and, uh, how it's coming and it's going to be crazy, but every year it seems to be crazier. But this year, I think, is the first time in my company's history that we have actually prepared for it. We're starting to make changes and starting to see a little bit into the future rather than just kind of making it up as we go, as I am known to do. So I don't know. Maybe this year will be uh, a little bit better, but hopefully everybody else is having a good summer and getting ready for their busy season. This this week's episode is something that uh, I've seen a lot of in the forums, I've seen a lot of questions, a lot of people asking for help with it. Uh, I've had a lot of people ask me directly to do a podcast on this topic. Um, side note, if there's something that you'd like me to talk about or kind of include or, or go over, definitely shoot me a message. Uh, I'll try to work it into uh, a future podcast, but this is for you. Uh, let me know what what it is that you want to hear that you have questions about, and I'll try to go over it. But but this one seems to be a hot topic. Uh, we're going to talk money. We're going to talk pay. We're going to talk uh, what to charge. Uh, this isn't really a know your numbers type podcast. That one's coming later. Uh, but this one is just to kind of go over, you know, how to figure out your numbers. So as always, starting with my mistakes, uh, when I first started Caesar Chimney, I didn't know anything about running a business. Not, I kind of still don't, still making it up. Uh, thankfully, I have people around that know more than me that I can ask for help. But back when I started, I knew nothing. And I didn't have many people I could lean on. And what I ended up doing was I ran a sort of non-for-profit chimney company. I didn't mean to. I didn't recognize it for a few years. But that's what I ended up having. Um, the reason was I didn't know my numbers. I didn't know how to track them or how to read them. I definitely didn't understand taxes or or what went into that. I just knew I had to give a a profit and loss and a balance sheet to my tax guy and he would do all the magic, but that's about as far as I knew. So really the reason was I was scared to have too much money left over at the end of the year. I'd heard other business owners talk about that scary tax bill and they're throwing around these huge numbers that they'd have to write checks for. And I'm going, Oh God, I don't want to have to do that. So my business plan, if you could call it that, was the money that I made, I would take what I needed for myself and my family to to make my ends meet personally. But in the business itself, I didn't want a lot of extra money left over at the end of the week, at the end of the month, at the end of the year for sure. And I would just spend it on the business. I'm talking about uh, deductible tax write-off type uh, expenses. I wasn't wasting it. I would turn around and put that money back into my company but I would spend it like it was growing on trees, literally. The good news, the pro to that, was that my company became better. Really nice tools, really nice vans, everything was wrapped, everything was lettered, uniforms, everything. Like I spent money left and right. Um, the downside to it was I didn't make any profit. I made money. Like I said, I made enough to to cover my uh, expenses as a, as a person and a family. But the business wasn't left over with much at the end of the year. So trying to get that number down low come tax time worked and my taxes, you know, I still had a ton of taxes. Even by doing that, I still had these huge numbers to write checks for uh, come April. But 
then the, the next year would start. And of course, it's slower in the winter, it's slower in the spring, and I wouldn't have a lot of money to kind of ramp up into the next year with. So I would just be in this constant state of making a lot of money in the end of the year, spending a lot of it, bonuses, pay, new uniforms. First of the year came, work would dry up. I'd be scraping the bottom of the barrel for a while, repeat. And I went through that for two or three, well, probably more than that, for a long time. So it took me a while before I actually could understand my numbers. And I know there's a lot of classes out there. There's a lot of um, seminars and topics and all kinds of places you can get information on how to know your numbers. Highly recommend doing that. Uh, It goes such a long way. Once you can understand what those numbers mean and how to read a balance sheet and how to do your taxes and how to track profit and loss and waste and just finding those those holes that you might not know you have in your company where water or uh, the money is just running through those holes like water and every company has them you just don't know it so definitely learn how to know your numbers and I'll cover that in a future podcast as well but we're starting back at square one with this episode before you can get into what to charge because that's the biggest uh, question I see people ask when it comes to money is what are you guys charging what do, what do you charge for a sweep what do you charge for a liner we're going to get to that for sure before you can get to that we have to talk about your overhead right because your your prices should be based off of your overhead not the guy next to you not the guy down the street so you have to know your overhead first of all the first the, the biggest expense that we have as a company is our payroll. We pay a lot of money. Um, I've talked to other business owners and, and we talk about percentages and mine's usually on the higher side. I found a couple other ones that are up there as well. Coincidentally, the companies with higher payrolls usually have better uh, culture in their company as well. So take that as you will. But when it comes to pay, the first thing I would say is make sure you're paying more than they can make somewhere else, right? This job sucks. (laughs) I tell people that all the time. I tell them that in the interview. This is a terrible job, right? You're asking these these applicants, these employees, uh, if this is a chimney company that I'm talking to, to get on a roof, right? First of all, right out the gate, you got to worry, you know, we're like, oh, you got to be good with heights. You're asking a lot right out the gate. Got to get up on these roofs. Some of these are 12 pitches, three, four stories. You got to work from a ladder. Uh, up here in New Hampshire, you have to do that in 100 degrees sometimes. You have to do that in zero degrees or less than zero degrees sometimes or in the rain or just these, it's you got to be in fireplaces, in ash pits, tight spots, dirty, dangerous. You know, here, go up in this ladder and hold this angle grinder two inches from your face for like an hour. That's great. You know, like the work sucks. So if you're going to ask somebody to come in and do that job, make sure you're paying them enough where they actually want to. I remember working for somebody else, my first job at the chimney company, and it was about September, October. Um, We had just finished up a job. I think it was like a liner job or something, but it was one of those like colder days. We just finished it. We put the ladder on the van. I remember the both of us standing behind the van and we just kind of looked at each other and I just said it out loud what I was thinking. I was like, why am I killing myself for this guy? Like that was the real thing. I'm like... And he kind of nods his head. He's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I don't know. know." I'm like, why am I killing myself out here? I remember the roof was stupid tall and the job had just gone sideways every way that it could. And I'm like, why am I killing myself for 12 bucks an hour? And that was when I decided to start my own company. (laughs) So either 
the people that you're underpaying for a job like this aren't going to stay and they're going to go find something else or they're going to go out and start their own company because they think they can do it better and make more money. I was the latter. So the first thing is make sure you're paying them enough to do the job that they're doing. You know, if you're a roofer, same thing, plumber, electrician, any job that you have that requires skill, make sure you're paying for that skill. Um, I talked in a, a previous podcast about the helper term. Everybody wants a helper. You can pay low for that position. If you want somebody just to come and help you do your job, they're not going to stay though. Nobody wants to be a helper forever. If you're going to give them a career path, you're going to give them something to attain. Oh, and the job sucks on top of that. The work itself, make sure they're compensated for it. That, that goes without saying. But I don't ever want one of my employees to say, why am I killing myself for this guy? Why am I you know, being overworked for so little? That's never going to happen at my company. So that being said, I watch the, uh, I watch Indeed and I watch the, the job pages and everything just like everybody else does just to see what else is going on. And I've noticed a really scary trend lately where you can work almost anywhere for 13, 14, sometimes 15, 16 dollars an hour. My son is 16 and he went to work at Panera this summer and he was making $14 an hour working at Panera. There's a pizza shop down the street from our house. And when he went in to get pizza one time for the family, they asked him if he wanted a job. And he's like, well, I have one. And the guy goes, well, how much are you being paid? He goes, well, I'm making 14. And he goes, I'll give it to you if you come work here. <laughs> so he did. He cut his drive time to work by like a, t you know, down to a 10th from what it was. And he's making the same money. And now my son is making $14 an hour to make pizzas. He doesn't even deliver them. He's just making the pizzas. And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm starting people at $15 an hour to go climb on a roof and get in a fireplace. <laughs> Something's wrong here. And now as I'm looking around online, McDonald's is hiring for a lot higher. Uh, Walmart around here, I saw one for $16 an hour to work at a Walmart here. Uh, a friend of mine sent me a bus driver uh, job posting to be a bus driver, $21 an hour. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I know those are calling for a higher minimum wage and they want, the, and they should, you know, $7 isn't livable, but at the same time, it's minimum wage for a reason. Don't get me started on that. But the more this happens now, here I am sitting here with a $15 starting pay and any of my employees can now go to Walmart or be a bus driver or make pizzas for the same amount they're starting at with me. I can't have that. So as of last week, we've raised our starting pay to $20 an hour. As soon as I put that out on Facebook and on Indeed, I had, I think it was three, three of my employees message me that night. Uh, what's going on here? I thought it was 15. Now you're posting that we're starting for 20. Some of these employees make more than 20. Some make less, but none of them started at 20 for sure. And they've worked their way up to that. We give raises, but they're incentivized raises. Like they have reviews they have to take in order to make the, uh, the next pay raise or they have to get a certification in order to get the next pay raise. So those that are making more than $20 an hour right now at my company have earned it. They have worked their butt off to get to where they are. And now here I am saying, yeah, we're going to hire for 20 now. Great. So what that means for me is I now am going to give my entire company a raise. Everybody's got to stay fair. I'm not going to have somebody just starting on making 20 when this guy over here is making you know, somewhere close to that. And he's worked his butt off to get where he is. That can't happen. Now I've got to give everybody a raise, which means all of my prices now have to go up. So we're going to get into that a little bit later when we're talking about how to set the prices, but this stuff matters, right? You have to know 
what are you paying? How much does it cost? So $20 an hour, you know, that's an easy number to know. Talk about knowing your numbers, but that's just one piece of the pie. You've got your payroll, then you've got your overhead, then you've got gas, then you've got vehicles, you've got maintenance, you've got job materials. There's so much that goes into getting our work done or any work done. You have to know what those are. I didn't for years. I usually just make, <laughs> I wouldn't make numbers up for jobs. When I go out, I'm like, ah, oh, I remember I did a job like this like a month ago when it cost this. So here, I'll throw this number out because I didn't know my numbers. I didn't know job costing. I didn't know what the materials would cost. I just was working so fast and doing so much and trying to keep up and trying to do everything myself that I didn't have time to sit and figure this stuff out. I was too tired at the end of the day. So I would just give the same number out that I gave for a job the month before or the year before or whatever. And then as I got bigger, I would have two or three vans running around. They were now coming to me and they're like, Hey, how much to do this job? How much to, to fix that? I'm like, um, I don't know. Go look at the job we did for Mrs. Smith a month ago and whatever they charged, you know, go with that. And then the, the questions kept coming once again, because I didn't delegate and I didn't uh, have a team around me. It was just me spinning my wheels. I didn't have time to answer all these questions and run a business, right? So I made a spreadsheet, very, very uh, technical spreadsheet. <laughs> it was uh, it was for liners, and it was if you have a six inch by twenty, and it's easy, medium, or hard. Here's three prices for that. If you have a six by forty, and it's easy, medium, hard, here's a price for that. If it's somewhere in the middle, put the number in the middle. Ta-da! And I did that for six, seven, eight. Uh, inch liners. And that was it. It was just a bunch of numbers and sizes. And do you think it's easy? Do you think it's medium? Do you think it's hard? Here's numbers for each one. Figure it out. Had absolutely nothing to do with the material cost and everything to do with their their skill, really, or how well they could get the job done. And I ran with that for about a year or two. We had it printed up. We had it laminated. It was in the vans. They were uh, checking it as they were doing jobs. And we just kept plugging right along. Everything was great. Um, it wasn't until I upgraded my, my software, my, the software that my company runs on that now does the job costing for me. Now I can put in how much the end cap costs or how much the snout costs or a chase cover or a cap or a liner, or even the mortar bags and the bricks, everything is costed out. And when we switched to that, all of a sudden I started seeing what our profit was, what our profitability and our job costing was, and we were losing our shirt. <laughs> I'm like, no wonder I can't make any money. I'm overpaying, well, not overpaying, but I'm paying a lot of money to all of these employees to do the work, and I'm not charging nearly enough for what I'm spending to do the job. I was way upside down and had no idea. I guess I am getting off on a know your numbers kind of thing, but I didn't want to do that. But there's a lot more that goes into your pricing than what the guy down the street is paying, which is what I keep seeing people at. What are you charging? Well, what do you charge? Well, well, he's charging this. Who cares? <laughs> your company is different than this company. And that company is way different than a company across the country, right? Everybody's different. They got different materials and different codes and standards and processes. And you can't base it off of that at all. So I feel like I went off on a tangent, but it's necessary. <laughs> So what I ended up doing was I made up another spreadsheet. I love spreadsheets. Whether you have Excel, you got Google Sheets or something else out there, please learn how to do a spreadsheet if you're a business owner or a lead or a manager. There's so many different things you can do with them and it, you can make it do all the work, put all the formulas in. I love it. It's my favorite. So I figured out how to make a spreadsheet and I made it for Monday through Friday 
five days. Under each day, it would say Monday, and underneath that would be payroll for that day. Underneath that would be job materials for that day. Under that would be receipts, which could be anything, a trip to Home Depot, it could be gas, could be whatever was charged outside of materials, outside of payroll for that day. And then I would put how much money we actually made that day, total from all the van's gross revenue. Very rudimentary, but it worked. Underneath that, I would have a a formula put in where it would take the total gross revenue and it would subtract the payroll, subtract the material, subtract the expenses, and then tell me if I made a profit that day. And that went for every day of the week. At the end of the week, it would total everything up. So I would see if I made a total for the, or a profit for the entire week. And then there's ways to make it change colors. So if it was under uh, a certain amount or a certain percentage, it would turn red. And if it was above a certain then it would turn green. So I could just look at my week and I could look at my month at a sna- at a glance and just see a snapshot and say, okay, we have way too much red on that spreadsheet. What's going on? And that worked for a couple of years. Uh, and it was a pain to do it. I'd have to have people add up all the receipts and put it in and somebody had to figure out the payroll. Well, this person only worked four hours and this person worked nine. There was a lot of work that went into that spreadsheet, but it worked. I could all of a sudden see we didn't make any money. And then I could see where we didn't make money. Sweeping days, and a lot of people call them loss leaders. They 100% are. <laughs> it's very hard to make a profit on a sweeping day, especially as the company gets bigger. So those days would just glare. I'm like, okay, we can't have a day where everybody's only doing sweepings. We have to, uh, we have to break it up. You know, if we have three vans, two should be doing repairs, one should be doing sweepings, or two can be doing sweepings if the third one is doing a bigger repair so we can keep the money managed and it's not all backloaded or front-loaded so it's actually spread out and we're making a profit across the board. These are decisions you have to make as a business owner that I wasn't making in the beginning. I wasn't at all. I would just go, oh yeah, I got an opening here. Let's put this job here. Or okay, yeah, let's give this guy a raise because I mean he showed up for like a month in a row. <laughs> like th- that was how I would make my decisions was just off feelings, just off. Yeah, I guess sure, why not? The more I started to know my numbers, the more I started to understand what those numbers meant and how expensive it is to to spend money where it's not supposed to be spent, and started understand what profit was. Magically, my company started to make more of a profit. So know your numbers, figure it out, get into Google Sheets, get into Excel, whatever you, uh, whatever you use for your spreadsheets and figure out your numbers. That's the very first thing you have to do. So once I had that spreadsheet, then I could start figuring out even further. I made another spreadsheet, took everybody's pay, multiplied by 40 hours, and it gave me their total for the week on an average. It's not exact because of course, sometimes you get less, sometimes you get more. So this one's more of a, an idea but then add up everybody's pay for the entire week and then add in, I forget what my multiplier is for that, but I figured out what my taxes were. I sat down with my, uh, my check stubs for about a month or two and started doing a bunch of math to figure out what's the average that I end up spending in taxes. And I put all that into the spreadsheet to figure out what am I actually paying every day, every week, every hour for my technicians, because I needed to know. This guy makes, you know, this much money. This guy makes uh, a different amount of money. And if they work together, how much am I spending for that van? And if he works with him and if they will go overtime and how much am I paying for that? And I nailed it down. Now I know how much my company, how much it costs in payroll to run my company. I think right now it's $674 an hour. Every hour Caesar Chimney is open. 
it cost me 670 something dollars an hour. Holy crap. Uh, that kind of stuff matters. And somebody's like, oh, it's just an hour. Oh, you know, whatever. It's not a big deal. Or it's a, you know, an hour one way drive. I'm like, you know what you cost this company an hour? You know what you cost an hour per van? Like that, those kind of things matter. You have to know them. So I'm saying all that to say this, you have to know all of these things to figure out what you're going to charge, right? Because I can give you my prices. I can tell you right now what my prices are. You can, I'm not going to, but you can go on my website. They're posted. I put them out there for customers and other business owners to see because that's what my prices are. But you can't just take those numbers and start charging the same amount or $5 less or $5 more or whatever you want. You can't base your prices as a business owner off of mine or Mark Stoner's or Chuck Roydhouse or anybody, the guy down the street, doesn't matter. Your numbers need to be based on your costs. So what do I mean by that? So if you were to take, and I, I you should do this. I'm not saying, you, you know, what if <laughs> actually do this, sit down and figure out how much am I paying every week on average? How much am I paying uh, everybody in my company? How much am I paying myself? That's a big one. If you're a business owner and you're not taking a check or you're not paying yourself in any way, you've got to do that. You can't just be like, oh, I got this much money left over. That's mine. No, no, no. I made that mistake too. Take yourself into account, cut yourself a check and include that in the payroll because you're a big cost to the company. You just don't realize it. I didn't until I started doing the numbers, but figure out how much you're paying. Then divide it by 40. So if you have an entire week's payroll, divide it by 40 and you're like, huh, it takes me that much money an hour to do work. Okay. So how much does it, how long does a sweeping take you? Well, it takes me on an average an hour and a half. Okay. Multiply an hour and a half by that number. That's how much it costs you in labor to do that sweeping, right? There's not really usually um, materials or, or any costing associated with the sweeping. It's just labor. So that's an easy one to start with. Here's how much it costs an hour to do that job. Take into account also the drive there, the drive back. I mean, you can go as far as taking your vehicle insurance for the month divided by 20, right? If you're working five days a week, you got 20 working days in the week or in the month, divide that by 20. Now you know how much it costs you a day for your vehicle insurance, right? Take, figure it out because these numbers matter. And I did, I did all of these things. I sat down and I started adding all my costs together and all my expenses and all my labor and divided it by 40, then divided it by eight. And I'm like, holy crap, that's what it costs me per hour. And then you can make your prices based off of that. And when I say make your prices, Let's say it takes, uh, you got two people in a van and you got $50 in labor, right? Per hour. So now if it takes an hour and a half to do the job, but it's a half an hour drive there and a half an hour drive back. Now you've got two and a half hours to do that job total that you're going to pay. So now you've got 50 and 50 is a hundred and half of that is 25. So it costs you $125 to do one sweeping for two and a half hours, including drive time. How much profit do you want to make? That's a question you have to answer. Do you want to make a hundred? Do you want to make double? Do you want to make more than double? People have different costs. They have different uh, things they want to do. Some people have boats and hobbies and they need more money. It's fine. It's your business. Do what you want. But you got to know that answer. So if it costs you $125 for two and a half hours of labor, not counting materials, double it. Right? Let's just say you double it. So now you got $250. Ta-da, there's your price. I mean, this isn't hard. It's your company. It's your overhead. But if the guy down the road is charging 200, now what do you do? 
Because it's going to, if you want to make a certain profit, you want to make double the labor and that's going to cost you $250, but the guy down the road's charging $200, what do you do? You're going to charge $200? You're going to charge $199? You're going to be that guy? <laughs> You're going to lowball to get the customer in, right? That's the next part of this uh, this episode today is that's where most people stop is how much do you charge? Well, great. Here's my number. I'll tell you right now. Boom. That's what I, that's what I charge per sweeping. Nobody going to do with that. Too many business owners are worried about being competitive, right? You want to be competitive or you want to be profitable. There's two different things. You can be competitive and lose your shirt. You can be profitable and it's, it's all in what you want as a business owner. I think too many business owners that I've seen are too worried about what everybody else is doing. They're too worried about what he's charging, what he's doing, and what everybody. It's just, don't be worry about you. If you and the same thing with with life, right? There's too many people worried about their neighbor. Oh, his look at his new car. Look what he's wearing. Look, who cares? If everybody focused on themselves and made themselves the best version of themselves, the world would be a much better place. Same thing with your business. If you turn inward and don't care what the guy down the street is driving or doing or charging or paying or anything, focused on you and made your company as great as it can be, you'd have a great company. Simon Sinek does a, a, a talk about that uh, where he talks about he's worked for both Apple and Microsoft. And when he goes to Apple and he sits in on their meetings, they 100% of the time are talking about the consumer and about their product. How do we make this product better? How do we improve it? How do we serve our customer better? What are they going to say? Like Apple's meetings are 100% customer and internal focused. Conversely, when he goes to Microsoft meetings, guess who they're focused on? <laughs> they're focused on Apple. <laughs> what are they doing? What are they charging? What are they making? We have to outdo them. And he does a much better uh, job, of course, explaining that. I'd recommend going to find it. But that stuff matters. You can see that. Now, I'm not even a big Apple guy. I actually don't like Apple at all. I don't have anything Apple. But from a company values, core values point of view, that's the kind of company I want to have where I don't care what anybody else is making or doing or charging. I'm going to make me and my company as good as it can be. And I think that's one of the reasons our company has grown is I really don't care what anybody else is doing. Now, if I see somebody like Mark Stoner, obviously doing this great, wonderful thing, I'm going to pick his brain. Be like, hey, how'd you do that? Why did you do that? What was the, how can I do that? How can I also incorporate that and make it better? But that's still internal base. That's still looking inside our company and saying, we need to make this part of our company better. The training center we have in our shop wasn't any kind of a, a magical brainchild idea that I had. It was me at Mark Stoner's place, and I was walking around, and he's got this building inside of his warehouse, which I never thought about a building inside of a building, because why would I, <laughs> right? And where he's got a, a big whiteboard on it, and his team crowds around that for the meetings, and they're all looking at the board, and I'm like, okay, that's good. I like it, but... It is not just a building, but there's roofs on it. He uses it for his um, uh, ropes training and, and fall protection training, stuff like that. I'm like, okay, I like that. But what if we go a step further? What if instead of just using it to climb onto, we climb onto it and do something? And then it started to form. I'm like, I could put a chimney on that. I got extra cinder blocks laying around. I got a dented class A that's sitting out back, you know, costing me money right now, not going anywhere, not doing anything. I've got a factory belt that I ripped out of somebody's house that's still in decent shape that I'm not going to put in someone else's house, but I don't want to throw it away. Like I got all this stuff sitting around. I could build a building inside my building and put these things on it and then use it as a training aid. And it, my head just exploded. 
but that just came from seeing what somebody else was doing and finding a way to make it work for me. There's been tons of other people walked into Mark Stoner's place, seen that same building and went, oh, cool, I can build a roof to do rope, uh, rope training on. That's great. And do that. Absolutely. But find ways to make your company better than it was yesterday. That's the goal. Don't get complacent. Don't just, you know, just keep doing just because everybody else has been doing it. Or that's the way it's always been done. Find a way to make it better. I go to a, <laughs> a terrible level with that because my employees know by now. They're like, okay, what's John going to change now? And we were building that training center. One of them actually said to me, he's like, well, how long before we tear this down and start over? And I kind of laughed nervously because I was already thinking the same thing. <laughs> I'm like, that's what I'm going to do because I'm crazy. But I just can't stand being the same. I just I can't stand not growing, not improving. I want my company, my guys, my employees to be the best versions of themselves that they can be. And it doesn't matter what anybody else is charging or paying or doing, right? So another big ramble. Sorry about that. Got way off topic. But that's what we need to be doing as business owners is focused inward. Make each other as good as we possibly can. Then... Now that you've figured out your numbers and you figured out your pay and you figured out how to internalize everything, the key is provide value to your customers. Not just any service, not just, you know, show up and do what they say, provide value. How do you provide value? You have to provide a premium service. You have to provide something worth paying for, right? You have to know who your customer is. And for those of you that know what that means, your customer is not anybody that calls you. That cannot be your customer. You have to have standards for who you work for. You have to have a model of what you want your customer to expect. Some Case in point, somebody calls up Caesar Chimney, they want a free estimate, we don't do it. I just don't. I have a whole uh, seminar that I taught before on why we don't do free estimates. I know they work for some people. You might have a company big enough where you can pay specific guys to go do estimates. You might have a small enough company where it doesn't really hurt and you need the work. I absolutely get it that it works for some people. For me, it doesn't. We did for three and a half years. I did free estimates until I figured out that I was spending more time working for free with the hope of making money later. And the second that I said, forget it, we're done and started over, my company revenue doubled from one month to the next because I went from... It's it's a it's a, a trick. We tell ourselves, well, if I go out and I do this estimate for free for this guy, I might get a job out of it later. Sure, you might. However, you work today for free. There's no might about that. You did work today for free. I flipped that on its head. I'm like, nope. I'm going to make money every time I leave the van or else I don't do it. It's just that simple. And magically, I made more money because now I was making money every time rather than just with the hope of it. So that's my personal um, business model way of thinking. I sometimes get very wrapped up and, you know, this is the best way to do this. And then people call me out because everybody's got a different model. I want to make sure you understand that just works for me. I don't want to do anything for free. So my customer, when I talk about knowing who your customer is, my customer is willing to pay for a premium service. If somebody calls up and they're like, yeah, I've had four estimates. Can you come out and give me a fifth? Absolutely not. I can give you an inspection. But I'm not going to come out and and haggle back and forth based on what everybody else did. Actually, I have a story about that too. Um, 
I told you uh, a few episodes ago about the guy when I first started getting retrained. I was certified, so I thought, and I thought I knew everything because I took a test and passed it, yay, and then started, almost burned the house down. Went to classes, got uh, re-educated, started uh, getting better, bettering myself again, and started, my estimates started going up. All of my jobs started going up because we were finding more wrong with chimneys and problems that we never knew existed before. And all of a sudden our, our average ticket was going up, our estimates were going up. A guy called me up and he said, I was pricing myself out of the industry. He goes, John, nobody's going to pay the kind of money that you're asking people to pay. They're just not going to do it. And I was like, okay. And my company has grown and customers enjoy having a safe place to put a fire in the middle of their house. I mean, who would have thought? <laughs> but I'm telling you that to say this, I go out to a house uh, my company, I think at this point was two, three, maybe four years old. I was still doing free estimates at the time. And this was one of them. I go out to the guy's house and I do a free estimate and he wants a liner for a wood stove that he has in his fireplace. I said, okay, we go out, <clears throat> get up on the roof. We go inside, taking pictures, doing everything, give him the estimate. And I was like, have a nice day. I'll see you later. I get back in the van. He comes out to the van. He goes, so I just have to ask you. He goes, do you know these other two companies? And he named off two of the local companies. One of them being this guy that said I was charging myself out of the industry. I said, yeah, I know both those companies. Well, good companies. Great. He goes, well, your estimate is double what theirs are. Both of them. They were both within like $100, $200 of each other. Yours is double that number. And I'm like, wow, <laughs> maybe I am pricing myself out of the industry. Holy crap. I was like, okay, do you mind if we compare apples to apples? Can we go over these? He goes, absolutely. I said, okay. So I looked up and I was like, well, we charge more for our liners because they come pre-insulated. You can't just put naked stainless steel in an exterior chimney and expect it to draft properly. It needs to be warm, needs to be wrapped in insulation per the manufacturer. So that's one of the reasons our liner is so high. And he goes, oh, neither of those other companies charged to insulate the liner. I was like, oh, okay. Well, all right, that's fine. You know, some you know, some companies do things different. No big deal. Uh, our price is also higher because a lot of other companies will squish their liners to make it fit inside that four or five inch damper opening in there. And you can't take insulated six inches, which is now seven inches in diameter and squish it into a five inch opening to make it fit. I was like, so the best way to do it is we take the damper out so the liner can stay round and it can come down and connect to your stove and you get a better draft out of it. He goes, oh, well, they, they, they didn't charge to to take the damper out. I was like, okay, okay, that's fine. Whatever. Just let you know, apples to apples here. So far it's hundred percent apples and oranges, but whatever. And I said, all right, we start, I go down the estimate and I'm just picking everything apart. I'm like, this is why we charge this. This is why we charge that. Never putting down any other companies. Cause I don't do that. I'm just explaining why our way is better. We get to the top of the chimney and I'm like, well, the, you know, I'm, I'm talking about the cap that we go to put on the chimney. And usually our caps are outside mount stainless steel. They wrap around the top of the chimney. A lot of other companies, um, including one of the ones that was uh, one of these estimates, like to just do like, you know, whatever covers the flues, whatever's sitting on the van kind of thing. There was one of those companies that would just screw the cap down to the top of it, regardless of what it actually covered. So I was waiting for that kind of an argument. So I was like, well, ours are outside mount and they're not just, you know, whatever's laying around, whatever barely fits. And instead he just kind of hangs his head and I'm like, what's going on? He goes, well, uh, Neither of these other companies even got on the roof. <laughs> and at this point, I was incredulous. I just kind of took a step back. I'm like, wait a minute. They came out to give you a chimney estimate and they did it from the yard. He's like, yeah, 
stood right there and the guy kind of like put his hand over his eyes, squinted a little bit, looked up. He's like, yeah, yeah, that'll work. I was like, sir, half of our estimate was done from the roof. Your flashing is bad. You have cracked bricks up there. There's mortar that's missing. Your crown is in pieces. We measured for a full-size cap, the waterproof. I'm like, half of our estimate is just from the roof up, not counting the other things we've already talked about. Why are they more expensive? And I took an extra 30, maybe 40 minutes with this guy explaining that we did a a better job and his chimney is going to be better for it. And I left really excited about myself. I was like, oh, there we go. Got another job and I'm going to do a really good service and whatever. I'm a jerk because <laughs> I called one of the other companies and I said, hey, just came from Bob Smith's house. And, um, you know, he said that you gave him an estimate and he was upset that it was half of mine, but you didn't even get on the roof. He's like, no. They didn't need to. I said, well, you know, there's like five cracked bricks up there and the mortar's missing and the crown's bad and there's no cap on it and the flashing has holes in it. Silence. Oh, no, no I was just there for a liner. I didn't, I didn't think to look for that. No, no, no. I was like, oh, well, there is. And you missed all of that. So and he goes, well, would you mind sending me those pictures? I said, absolutely not. No. Now, if you want, you can ask him for my inspection report. So I go on about my day thinking that I'm just the greatest ever now because I'm, like I said, a jerk. I get a call a couple days later. He went with the other guy. The customer went with the guy that I was just on the phone with, the other competitor. He went with the guy that didn't get on the roof. He went with the guy that didn't do the right installation. He went with the guy that inspected half the chimney. He went with the guy that didn't find all the issues that I found. He went with him. And it was at that moment I understood what my customer meant. He's not my customer. I was going to do a much better job. The chimney would have lasted a much longer. It would have been repaired. It would have been able to function. It would have been able to draft. It would have been insulated, capped, covered, water sealed. No, no water's getting it. Not all of that. I would have done a premium service for this guy. And he went with the guy that was charging half as much and did half an estimate and was going to do half the work. And that is okay. People have budgets. People can't afford. I 100% understand that. But I will not put, especially after me almost burning somebody's house to the ground because I didn't know what I was doing, I'm not putting my name on something that I can't stand behind. So that's not my customer. You need to draw that line in the sand. Who do you want to work for? I see this all the time in the forums. People put a picture up of a job and then they get picked apart, crucified in the comments. Like, why'd you do this? And I would have done that. And this is terrible. And and sometimes they're right. But then the poster will say, well, that's what the customer wanted. The customer's not certified. The customer's not the one liable. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Why would you do half a job or less than a job because that's what the customer wanted? If I ran my company that way, I would have cut my estimate in half for the guy I just told you about and done a crap job and not fixed everything and then got a call a month later because the chimney's leaking and you just fixed it. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. Why would you? So when I'm talking about providing value to someone, provide value. Don't just provide whatever they want. You're the one in charge here. Too many of us, and I'm including myself again, the first like two, three years, we're scared to have people say no. 
I didn't want them to turn me down. I didn't want them to think less of me. It's the complete opposite. If you're a professional and you've spent money on certification, training, uniforms, everything's perf- you have the right tools for the job, which are very expensive for our trade. Cameras, God, you've got all this money that you've put into making yourself a certified professional expert, whatever you want to call yourself. And then you go out there and go, yeah, I'll do it for half because he's going to. You've just lost all the respect of the customer. And now you have handicapped yourself because you now have to do less than work just to make a buck. That doesn't make any sense to me. I've talked to so many business owners that are out there working six, seven days in this trade. I once again was one of them. When I worked for somebody else, there was one winter that we were so busy. We worked three straight months in the fall. It was like October to December, seven days a week. I mean, seven days a week. They were, we got three days off in those three months. One of them was because it snowed. One of them was because it rained. And one of them was we just actually didn't have enough work for the seventh day. So I got three Sundays off in three months because that's the kind of company that he ran. And I was dead. I have to tell you, doing, I talked about the fact this job sucks. It's heavy. It's hot. It's dirty. It's, it's a, it wears you down. And then we expect to, people to go out there and do it without any rest. Like seven days means you've worked Monday through Friday, then you've worked Saturday, and then you've worked Sunday, and then you're going to get back up again and do it again on Monday? Absolutely not. That was the number one rule when I started my own company was we are never working seven days ever. Saturdays come up if we have to. They are optional. We have those once in a while if a job goes over or we get a rain day, but a rain day means you got a a day off during the week and the job has to get done, so now you're working Saturday. During the fall, we get a little busier and I give it up. I, I give it to the employees. I'm like, it's optional. If you want to work Saturday, you can. You will you will not work Sunday. You're not working seven days. You need some kind of rest. In the last two years that I've done this, the, the newer leads, the hungrier, the younger leads usually want to work extra days. They want to work Saturdays because they either get paid overtime or they get paid piece rate. So they get more money, obviously, for working an extra day. So the younger, hungrier ones that can do it love to. They go out and they work six days a week in the fall and they make a ton of money and they have a great Christmas. The next year they don't. <laughs> it's kind of funny how it's worked that way the last two years. Their first year, they're they're ready to go. They love it. They make all this extra money. Next year comes and I'm like, hey, who wants to work Saturdays? They're like, huh, no, I'm good. <laughs> and that's totally, that's what I want. I want them to have two days of rest in this business because it'll kill you. I used to talk to people when I first started and they're like, oh, you're a chimney sweep? Oh, man. I did that for two or three years and I had to give it up because it completely tore my body up and and just wore me down. I just couldn't keep up. And I'm thinking, oh, you're just a wuss. (laughs) That's what I would think. I'm like, you can't do what I can do because I was a jerk. But what they were saying was they were overworked. It had nothing to do with the work. It had everything to do with how they were told to do it. They were told to work six, seven days a week doing this job. Absolutely not. You're going to run everybody that works for you into the ground. So my company only works five. And then the next question I get is, oh, how can you afford? There's so much money you're leaving on the table. Same thing with free estimates. You're leaving money on the table. Absolutely, I am not. Let me tell you why. It's a very, it's a very simple math equation that I came up with for my uh, class that I taught. Let's say you're working for $1,000 a day because you know your numbers, you know your payroll, you know your prices. We've been over that. You're working for $1,000 a day on average. So if you work six days, you've made $6,000. Ta-da. However, if you provide more value 
if you have higher overhead and you're paying more and you have higher job costs because you're finding things that other people aren't seeing, you're providing that premium product, you're, you're giving your customers what they're paying for, you're doing a better overall job. You're accounting for all the, the, the cost that it's taken you to become who you are with insurance, certification, travel, training, all of that. I make $2,000 a day. Over five days is $10,000. Let me do that again. $1,000 a day at six days is 6000 Or $2,000 a day over five days is 10000 I can work a day less and make $4,000 more. I don't understand how that's not, not just chimney industry-wide, but everywhere-wide. Why would you overwork yourself for less? I don't understand that. It doesn't make any sense. And I see it all the time. I talk to people like, oh God, I got to work another Saturday or even worse, like I'm answering the phones on Saturday. Why? Why? I shut my office down. Same thing with them. It's optional if they want to work Saturdays for some extra overtime. Most of them don't because I pay them enough to not have to, but let it go. Let it go to voicemail. If you're answering the phone Monday through Friday, eight to five, nine to four, whatever your hours are during the week, and you've handled five days worth of phone calls and your schedule is booked out, why would you ever do more? That, that, I don't understand that. So don't do it. Stop overworking yourself. Figure out your numbers. Pay accordingly. Charge accordingly. Make more money. Set your profit and run with this. Take more time off. Take a weekend off. Take a vacation. Like this just, this is, oh, I didn't figure this out till way too late. That's why I'm so passionate about this is I wasted like five years spinning my wheels. Couldn't figure out why I couldn't grow. Couldn't figure out why I wasn't making money. Couldn't figure out my numbers. And I was just like, this sucks. Being a business owner sucks. Why did nobody tell me this? Turns out everybody told me this. I just didn't listen. So knowing your numbers and setting your numbers is a whole lot more important than a quick post on Facebook going, hey, what do you charge? I've been talking now for, what, 45 minutes. And I still haven't grazed the surface on how I set my prices. It's not that easy. There's so much that gets taken into account rather than just throwing a number out there and seeing if it sticks. Case in point, last year, I tried to stop people from setting appointments with me. I tried to kind of cull the herd a little bit. I tried to, because we were getting swamped. We, we couldn't keep up with the work, which is something else I hear people say a lot. We can't keep up with the work. Side note, little ramble on that. Um, that question, how far are you booked out? I used to get caught up in that all the time. That's such a competition in our trade. I'd go to conventions, I'd go to meetings, or I'd just talk to somebody. And within five minutes, the first question out of their mouth is always, hey, how far are you booked out? And I'm like, oh, you know, we're about, you know, seven weeks. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, you know, we're eight weeks, but yeah, yeah. And it would be like this kind of chest pumping, just toxic conversation of how far are you booked out? I'm like, well, I'm booked out farther. And I did that for a while. I got caught up in that a lot until I realized I was talking to, uh, I think it was Jeremy Biswell at a convention. And he said, man, if I get booked out more than two weeks, we put another van on the road. (laughs) I was like, what? He's, yeah, I don't want to be booked out that far. I'm like, what are you talking about? And I was like, what do you mean put another van on the road? I know how much it costs to put employees in a van and how much to get a van. Like you just have vans laying around. Like it didn't make any sense to me. I was way too new to have that conversation with Jeremy. But that was, I, it started my, my, my ear, my gears turning, right? I'm like, wait a minute, two weeks. Then I talked to Mark Stoner. Stoner put it a different way. 
He said, John, it's the same money. I was like, what? He goes, getting yourself booked out three days or three months is the same money. Like I was just talking about a second ago, $1,000 a day, or let's say you're making 1000 a day and you're booked out three days. How much work are you going to make every day? $1,000 a day. Let's say that you're booked out three months. How much are you going to make? $1,000 a day. You haven't, you haven't made any more money. You've prolonged it. You're making your customers wait longer. To me, being booked out two, three, four months. There's people that I know right now, and I'm not picking on you if you're listening. I've, I've seen these things. I don't know who said it, but they're already booked out to January right now in August. They're like, oh, yeah, already booked out to January. I'm like, what? That's terrible customer service. If I called somewhere right now for anything, anything, chimney, flooring, sprinkler, I don't care what I call anything. And they're like, yeah, I'll see you in January. I'm like, no, you won't. <laughs> Absolutely not. I'm not waiting four months, especially when it comes to a time sensitive thing like chimney sweeping, where they need it done before it gets cold. Here it gets cold in October. And you're telling them to wait until Christmas for it? No, absolutely not. That's that's terrible customer service if you're doing that. I did that. Once again, I'm just preaching to the choir. But if you're still doing that, don't do that. <laughs> the way that I got around that was raise your prices. It's peak season. You get peak work coming in. Set peak pricing. We do the same thing. I used to see other people do it. I'm like, I'm not raising my prices. That's mean. I'm not going to do it. And then I got overworked. And then I got flooded. And then... Come now, August, September, October, I'm booked out three months. And I'm like, uh, great. Everybody that calls from now until Christmas, I can't help. What am I supposed to do now? Like, that's a terrible feeling. All these, I spend all this money on TV advertisements and print ads and signs in people's yards. I've done all this work to make people call. And then magically, I can't help anybody that's calling. Why would I ever do that to myself or my customers? I was like, I got to fix this. So we did. First thing, peak pricing. Raise your prices. Don't gouge. Do not gouge. Don't be that guy. But raise them high enough that it's worth it for you to go out and do this work in this busy time. What that will do is your customer, like we talked about before, wants premium service. They want you because of your value. They want you because of your reputation. They want you because they've been referred by a friend. They've seen your work. They know you. Whatever. They will pay the extra money for peak season pricing. And then the ones that don't want to pay, unfortunately, that's not your customer for that time. I don't like doing that. I'm not, that's not, I'm not a business owner in that sense. I'm like, oh, sorry, you can't afford me. Like, God, no. My worst fear is to be like that 1% chimney company. Like, oh, don't call him because, you know, you'd have to take a loan out, just get your chimney swept. No, God, I don't want that. <laughs> so it scares the crap out of me every time I have to raise prices. So last year we raised it right about now. Labor Day, peak season starts, peak pricing starts raise the prices. We track our calls. We know uh, how many leads we get versus how many of those were booked and how many calls total and all these formulas and everything. The week before we raised our prices, we had, I think it was like 80% call booking rate and we set 74 appointments or something like that. I was like, oh man, that's really high. And we just set 74 appointments in a week, raise the prices. We did. We raised them on, I think it was September 10th or 11th last year. The following week, we set 99 appointments with a 92% closing rate. The week after we raised our prices, I did it to cull the herd, to slow it down, to let us breathe, to give us a little bit of margin. I raised my prices for peak season and we set more and more often. <laughs> like, this is not going to end well. 
And I was like, okay, let's see what happens. And then sure enough, within a month, we were booked out to Christmas again. I'm like, what? What are we supposed to do now? So I raised them again. In the middle of peak season, a month later, it was October. Now I raised them again to a place that I feel was too high. I didn't like it. I didn't like doing it. I told everybody, I was like, I'm not, I'm trying, I'm not trying to make more money or be a jerk right now. I'm just, I don't know what to do. And I did. And would you believe we set more appointments that week and more often again? I just, I don't know what to do at this point. I was like, this doesn't make any sense to me. I'm, I'm priced too high to be setting this many appointments and be booked this far out. So. I'm sorry, that was actually two years ago. Last year, we did the same thing, raised prices for peak, but we changed it a little bit. We now don't book. Actually, last year, it was Thursday and Friday we didn't book any jobs for. They weren't allowed. The office had them blocked off. You're not allowed to book any jobs for Thursday and Friday after Labor Day. We'd only book three days worth of work. And what that was was leaving gaps in our schedule. We raised our prices again, but now if you're called and you booked an appointment, you get an appointment in the schedule and you're paying our peak pricing However, we always get those customers that call in October to get their chimney swept by Thanksgiving, or they call like the, you know, I need it swept tomorrow or this week or what the emergency, whatever it is. And you have nowhere to put them. You know, somebody calls up and they're like, I need it swept tomorrow. Or I had a chimney fire last night, or my boiler got uh, shut down and I need you to come out and look at it. And you're like, sorry, booked out three months. Like that's terrible customer service. I'm like, what are we going to do? So we leave Thursday and Friday open. And then as emergencies came up, as uh, last minute things come up, at, or those people are like, I need it done this week, we had an opening for them right then. You could call Monday, you could get it swept Thursday or Friday, whatever worked for you. We're doing it again this year. This year, we're only doing Friday. This uh, this fall, Fridays right now is already blocked off in our schedule where nothing is allowed to be set there until the week of. So if you call Monday, Wednesday, or Monday through Thursday, you can get an appointment same week. But all of this is done to try to serve the customer better. It's not trying to serve me better. It's trying to keep my headaches down for sure. But I just can't stand having to tell a customer, hey, sorry you had a chimney fire last night, but we, we can't see you until January. I'm not going to do that to them. I don't. I would hate that. So then what's the other side? How do you keep up with that much work? You grow. You grow. And how do you grow? That's been the first six, seven episodes of this podcast is train, instill, support, help. Like you, if you just got a small company out there and you want to stay small, 100% behind you. I get it. Like I can see why <laughs> the bigger my company gets like totally. I've had a couple of times. I'm like, man, I think I should just go back to one van. <laughs> I would have much less of a headache. But if you're trying to grow, this is what you're growing for. We treat our year in two different halves. The first half of the year, January through June, is training. We hire more people. We hire a ton more people than we need. <clears throat> we have floaters. We have an extra office person we hire in the spring, even though we're not even really that busy. But I want them to get that experience they need during the slower times. We really don't have a slow season anymore because forward scheduling and all that stuff, we actually have a really well-rounded year now, but it's still slower than the busy season. But we spend that time getting ready for the fall. Like the old quote about sharpening your axe to chop down the tree. Like that's that time. The first half of the year is us sharpening our axe. Hire more people, train them, bring them places, have training come in, have them get certified, practice, experience. All that stuff happens then because we know that now, right now, as we get ready for um, 
September and the rest of the months to follow, it's going to get insane. We don't have time to stop and coach and train and figure out and tweak, and we don't have time for that. So we train for that so that we can hit the ground running. So I overhire, and I, I get everybody ready. Every year, I'm like, okay, we got four vans. We should be able to handle the work this fall. Can't handle it. The year after that, okay, we got five vans. We should be able to handle the work now. Can't handle it. This year, we have six on the road right now, about to put a seventh on the road. And I already know it's not going to be enough. Like, it's never enough. It's just the nature of the beast. So all you can do is you can plan for it. Price increases, getting everybody trained, getting everybody ready to go, leave a gap in your schedule, and just pray. <laughs> I think you can tell by the sound of my voice, I'm a little bit stressed out as this time comes up because it's every year I'm running a business I've never run before. I've never run a business with seven vans and 25 people. I've never been there. And then next year I'll be really good at running a, a business with seven vans and 25 people. And this time next fall, I'll be like, oh God, what am I going to do? Running a company with nine vans and 35 people. It's just, it keeps getting worse. It, there's no end. <laughs> so that's the beauty of the beauty of business ownership and growth is it's always new. It's never going to stay the same. It just keeps getting better and better, hopefully. So I've rambled quite a bit this time. What are we at now? 56 minutes. God, how can you listen to me talk this long? <laughs> oh, thank you for listening. That, that means a lot to me. I have been getting a lot of great messages from people that say they're really getting a lot out of what I'm saying. And you guys love my stories. And I just have to say thank you for listening, for lending me your ears. Um, I don't, I didn't think this would go anywhere. Honestly, I didn't think this would be half as, as popular or useful as it is. And yet every week the numbers keep going up and people keep writing in. So thank you very much for listening to what I have to say. Uh, like I said, at the beginning of this, this uh, episode, if there's something you want me to cover or something you have questions about or something that I said, you're like, why did you say that? Sometimes I say things and I don't realize that I said it or I'll say it a way that I didn't mean for it to come out. That happens misspeaking and all that. Call me on it. I'm one of those people. I'm doing a, a podcast coming up one of these days soon about uh, accountability, but I'd love to be held accountable. Like, why did you say that? And why did you do this? And what's your thought process here? Ask me. That's what I'm here for. Um, but definitely thank you for all of the, uh, the kind words and uh, support that you guys have given me. So that being said, uh, this has been a long one again. I apologize, but it's been a good one. Thank you so much for lending me your ears, and I will see you again next week.